And I remember flying into Iraq on my first mission and looking down and seeing AAA, like anti-aircraft artillery, shooting up at us. And so my first initial thought is, holy crap, they're shooting at me. And that's like a scary thing because they can actually hit me and then I can crash and you know die and all the bad stuff, right? Uh, but it was immediately replaced with anger. Like, how dare you shoot at me, you know? Um, and I just remember that that switch that was just flipped from being the switch is on, you say. <laughs> the switch is on, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, you go from being scared to just falling back on your training and doing everything that they've taught you from day one. And uh, and and from that moment on, I was I wouldn't say I was like completely at peace, but I was definitely more comfortable. I felt confident that I could do the job. Battleline Podcast. Uh, just myself, Ian Scotto here. Yes, this has been a very busy month for Chris Peranto. Uh, he had a speaking engagement in St. Kitts, and then he flew back home. And right now, as I'm recording this, he has a speaking engagement in Ohio. And as you often know, at times his schedule gets pretty crazy. But do not go anywhere because we have an excellent interview this week with Jack Stewart. And this guy's background is tremendous. Veteran fighter pilot, Naval Academy graduate, Top Gun graduate, combat veteran with Air Force Tactical Air Control and combat deployments as a member of JSOC. As he tells us, that was his last combat deployment. And then he went on to become an airline pilot, which he currently does as well as he is now a fiction author. This is the latest and the first novel in this series, Unknown Rider. But he, you'll hear he has so many books in the works beyond this. But this is the book that's available today, Unknown Rider. And uh, we talk everything. We talk China. We talk Top Gun. We talk espionage. So a lot of ground covered this episode. Uh, Before we get into that, though, I should say to you guys, uh, I hope you are enjoying or gearing up for a great Thanksgiving this week. But especially those who aren't able to be with their families, I always try my best to remember that, yeah, not everybody gets to enjoy this day with families, whether it's military members, first responders, firefighters, police officers, EMT, EMTs. Uh, so if you're in any of those categories, we salute you. And then even just people working in retail who, who have to work this day, people, you know, you're many of you are going to be watching football on Thanksgiving. Well, anybody working those broadcasts, they don't get to be with family. So uh, all of us truly appreciate it. And I know a lot of you probably uh, or maybe listening to this, we have a pretty split audience between civilian and military, as well as law enforcement officers. So some of you uh, may be in that predicament and listening. And uh, thank you uh, to you from me and and to us at the podcast to you. Uh, before we get into everything, though, I did want to mention this one very tragic story. It's always unfortunate when we have to report on this type of thing. And I I'm recording this a week in advance, so there's probably been some uh, some advancements in the story, but this is what was reported on November 12th by Emma Bowman of NPR. Five U.S. service members were killed in a helicopter crash during a training exercise. You've heard us report on this type of thing before, and this is the latest of these, unfortunately. Uh, five American service members were killed during a training exercise after a military Black Hawk helicopter crashed into the Mediterranean Sea on Saturday morning, defense officials said. The incident occurred during a routine air refueling mission, the U.S. European Command said in a news release. Search and rescue efforts began immediately, UCOM said. An investigation into the crash is underway. 
a U.S. aircraft carrier and accompanying ship are operating in the Mediterranean as part of a strengthened presence to deter Iran from getting directly involved in the war between Israel and Hamas. Officials said there was no indication of hostile fire. The Black Hawk was from the Army's 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment. The Department of Defense is withholding the identities of those killed until 24 hours after the next of kin have been notified. That has obviously happened by now, but I'm recording this early, as I said. The crash came a day after Veterans Day ceremonies honored uh, fallen American service members. And then this is a quote from Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin from a statement. Uh, He writes, while we continue to gather more information about this deadly crash, it is another stark reminder that the brave men and women who defend our great nation put their lives on the line each and every day to keep our country safe. Uh, They represent the best of America. We will remember their service and their sacrifice. It's the latest in a string of fatal crashes that have uh, occurred during military exercises in recent years. You've heard us uh, talk about some of these, including this. In August, an aircraft crashed during a military training exercise in North Australia's Melville Island killed three of the 23 Marines on board. Prior to the August crash, there had been five fatal crashes of Marine Osprey uh, aircrafts since 2012, causing a total of 16 deaths. In 2021, five sailors died after a Seahawk helicopter crashed off the San Diego coast during routine Navy operations. So, our thoughts and prayers with the family and friends of these service members. Uh, of course, there's always risk involved in everything in the military, but you know you don't think the ultimate sacrifice is going to be made during a training exercise. You know, it's something that's usually reserved for combat. But yeah, these these risks are always involved, and it is tragic every time that we hear about this and, and have to report on these kinds of stories. But that's what we do here. We, we talk about military issues. And when something this like, like this comes up, we like to keep you all in the know of what's going on. Um, before we get to Jack Stewart, I, I want to go off script a little bit and tell you about Ned because of the fact that during the summer months, truthfully, there are times where I'm not using Ned as much. much and that's because during the summer months, I operate great in warm weather. Uh, I I don't have joint issues. I don't have these aches and pains. I can't be the only one that once the the cold weather hits, my back starts to lock up. Uh, lower back, I'll have these neck uh, pains and issues. Uh, and I try to rehabilitate them myself a little bit, which help, does help with doing lighter weight um, lat pull downs or or you know lateral rows. But this uh, relief bomb has been absolutely awesome. This stuff is more powerful than Tiger Bomb, but it's also good. You know, you're not putting any harmful chemicals on your body that you're topically rubbing on there. Um, It is truly a premium product that you're going to love, so I really suggest you pick that up. And unlike Tiger Bomb, it's not just got the menthol in there. It has the CBD, which has great healing properties. So check out the Relief Bomb. I love it this time of year. If you're like me and you're experiencing these uh, joint or muscle pains during the winter months especially, check it out. And then the CBD helps me with the exact same thing. When I take CBD every night before I go to sleep, I feel relieved. I get a great night's sleep. And I am in a lot less pain than I was just a few days ago, thanks to Ned. 
So you'll always get the best deal through us when you go to helloned.com slash battlewine or just enter the code battlewine at checkout. Whether you want to check out their Mellow Magnesium, uh, their Brain Blend, their, their just CBD Daily Blend, or that Relief Bomb that you are going to love, check it out. HelloNed.com slash Battlewine, H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash Battlewine. Uh, highly recommend that you check those guys out. From Kansas City to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Switch is on. Motherfucker, I'm gonna shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. The Switch is on Battleline podcast. On with me is Jack Stewart, and I'll get into your whole background, but it's uh, been a while in the making. Uh, we kind of were speaking on X or Twitter, whatever people want to call it, yeah. and I said that we'd get you on by the time the book is out, and people are hearing this actually uh, the Tuesday following when we're recording. So the day that you're hearing this, um, Unknown Rider is is released. Yeah, and that that is a long time coming. I mean, I've been waiting for this moment for pretty much my whole life. So I I have to apologize for Chris not being here because this month has been super hectic for him. He was just in St. Kitts doing a speaking event, and now he actually was on the phone with me a few minutes ago. He's in Ohio driving there doing a speaking event. Man. So his schedule has just been slammed for this month. And I know the audience is wondering, they're like, where the hell has this guy been? But he'll he'll be back next week. Yeah, well, great. Well, the good news is I've got other books coming out in the next couple of months, so maybe exactly. we can uh, do this again and win here. But but it's always uh, it's great to talk to you. Yeah, we will for the next book, and and we'll get into all that for sure. Um, you know, it's it's great to have you on, and and he apologized for not being able to be here because whenever it's someone of of your uh bio, you know, your biography, he wants to come on because you have quite a lot going on. Um, and you know, it's fun. I got to tell you this, no matter where this interview goes and what we discuss, I am very confident it will be better than last week's show, which was <laughs> a disaster. <laughs> well, let's, let's give it a little bit first. I mean, it's got a few more minutes where you can make that kind of, uh, that kind of declaration. Exactly. Yeah. But I, I'm very confident in saying that. So, so to give people Jack's background, truly it's too much for me to say in just a quick, uh, synopsis, but I'll, I'll say as much as I can here. Veteran fighter pilot, Naval Academy graduate, and Top Gun graduate, combat veteran with Air Force Tactical Air Control, combat deployments as a member of JSOC, and an airline pilot. And now, once again, out you have the book Unknown Rider, and yeah. this is the first thriller in the series. And the second book is going to be coming out 
in February. I don't know uh, where to even begin. I think it'd be cool to probably get into your background because it's a long military career. And yeah. I feel like everybody has a pretty interesting origin story of of what made them want to take that path, which is a pretty, uh, pre- like pretty scary path for a lot of people that not many have have the balls to do. Yeah, you know, um, you know, first of all, I just I just want to say I'm a big fan of the show. So so being able to come on and talk to you is is awesome for me. Thank you. Um, I, I'm always very humbled to to talk about my background and, and my career path, because some of the people I know you, you guys have talked to, um, I, I mean, for me, I'm just completely humbled to be even considered to be in the same category as, as many of them. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, my, my getting my start in the military was pretty much like, I think a lot of people who ended up serving, uh, for a career is that there was some deep calling, you know, to serve our country. And, um, and for me, it just, you know, I grew up in the, um, uh, you know, 80s and 90s. Um, so uh, World War II veterans for me were like my heroes. Um, but but Vietnam was also pretty um, fresh, you know, in our uh, in our nation. And and so I looked at those guys, too, as like, man, those guys have been there and done that. And so, you know, I just I always looked up to our veterans and knew that one day, somehow, some way I was going to serve. And uh, I was just very fortunate for the the path led me to where I am today. I, I'm wondering with the timeline, when you talk about what inspired you, you know, when I talk to someone like John Rain Waters, who's also in, in your same field, really, although, you know, different career path. When you said growing up in the 80s and 90s, it's sort of the obvious question. But Top Gun, was that while <laughs> yeah. you were uh, going into the military? What When did that happen? No, that I was 10 years old. I was 10 years old when... Uh, when Top Gun uh, came out and it absolutely was a huge influence for me. Which by the um, way, blows my mind when I think of that. Cause we, we've all, I'm guessing you've seen the second one and you're like, man, how does Tom Cruise still look? Like I, I know it's so long. I, know it. I, I wasn't even, I think I was born the same year. So yeah. Yeah. I know he, I mean, he still looks incredible. Uh, still gets to, to, you know, do what I think a lot of us fighter pilots wish we could do at, you know, his age. Uh, is to continue to to fly fighters and and uh, do all the stuff he did. But so did you did you see that at ten years old though and say I want to do this? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, so my uh, my dad was a pilot. Uh, he was a, a recreational pilot, so he just did it for fun. So aviation, you know, was something in our house that we just always loved. Like I would just go to the airport and watch airplanes fly. 
um, air shows in the summertime. That was a very yeah. uh, common thing. And, you know, where my dad would go look at, at all the aerobatic planes and all the civilian planes, I was always, you know, drawn towards the, the olive drab green and the gray, you know, military aircraft. Um, so, you know, I, I just knew that I was going to go into aviation. So when Top Gun came out, it was like, you know, this is like my dream. And um, I mean, I, I knew a little bit about naval aviation in terms of landing on aircraft carriers and stuff because my, my dad's uncle was a naval aviator. And I always thought that was the coolest thing, but I didn't think it was attainable. But then when I saw Top Gun and I realized, you know, these guys are knuckleheads and they can go do this. I mean, maybe I can do it too. So that's kind of what I set my my sights on. So growing up, I would think, especially for me, and I love going to air shows too, I watch what they do in amazement. And and truly, I do say to myself, I could never get in one of these planes. It, it's <laughs> yeah. such, such a scary thought. So I think that initial fear is probably a, a, a big breaking point for a lot of guys. With your dad's background, were you able to get into this type of machinery prior to all this and kind of get over that fear? I mean, nothing that advanced. My dad would take me flying in Cessnas and, you know, before I could even see over the dash, you know, we'd go flying and uh, he'd, he'd do a stall and, and to like a little kid that has no idea what a stall is. It was the scariest thing ever. I know is we're pointing up and all of a sudden the nose just drops and I thought we we're going to crash. We we're going to die, you know, but it was normal. It was just aerodynamics and stuff that I learned later on is a very normal thing. And um, it's something you have to practice as a pilot to understand you know, how a wing flies. And, and, uh, and, and so I, I thought it was fascinating. Um, it terrified me, but then I got to learn more about it. I, anything that scared me, I wanted to learn more about. And that's really kind of how my love of books kind of came in because I wanted to learn about everything I could, you know, about aviation, about space, about uh, exploration. I mean, you name it. I was just reading do, do you think your dad was trying to bring you to this career path and get you to follow in his footsteps to some degree? You know, I don't, I don't think he was trying to, because he didn't do it for a career. You know, he, he was, uh, he was an accountant by trade. Okay. Uh, he just flew, he just flew for fun. Um, but it's, it, aviation is definitely one of those things where if it's in your blood, I mean, it's in your blood. I mean, I've known people who've tried so hard to be fighter pilots and they just, in training, they get sick or, it's just not, they don't have the drive, you know, whatever it is that's inside them, they don't have that uh, to go be a fighter pilot, you know? So it's definitely a unique skill set, and it takes a certain person to do it. And there are people I know that wanted it so bad and just couldn't do it. And I felt bad for them, but I mean, like everything in the military or any other profession for that matter, um, just because you want it doesn't mean that you can do it. You know, my, my friend, Mark Green, he likes to say that uh, he would be a professional soccer player, you know? but he doesn't have the skill. So instead he's just going to write books because he's really good at that. Well, he is. And I, I, yeah, I got to interview him with Jason Piccolo and yeah, we'll get into the book stuff because it is yeah. interesting how there's more and more guys, you know, Jack Carr and yourself, like now who went to the, through the career path and now are able mm -hmm. to write about it, fiction books, but from a perspective of expertise. But before uh, we get into the book and everything, and I was talking about your background I just love to hear all about this because, as you said, growing up in the 80s and 90s, and then you joined the military during peacetime, but yeah. you're a combat veteran. I mean, I'd love to hear going into there during peacetime, serving during peacetime, and then 9-11 happens, and you have several combat deployments. Yeah, you know, 
I, I did I did join uh, in peacetime and it was um you know it was after Desert Storm um which I was in junior high I think when Desert Storm happened so we were in you know we were in the Middle East but it was all you know Southern Watch and it was all the peacetime operations so that's what I kind of expected I was going into um I went through the Naval Academy graduated in 1999 started flight training uh ended up you know training in the Hornet and on my first day uh my first F18 simulator was 911 and I remember walking into the simulator building having heard on the radio about this plane crashing into the World Trade Center and thinking man weather must be terrible up there you know I still have a hard time believing a plane would crash into the building and I walked into the sim building and I saw the second plane hit and um, I, I knew at that moment that we were going to war and, you know, we were at war for the rest of my career. And um, uh, so it, it definitely put things into perspective, you know, because uh, you train your entire career up until that point for this moment. And so I knew every training mission I did from that moment on had meaning, you know, when I trained in close air support, I knew that I was going to one day be flying over Afghanistan. Uh, I didn't know it was going to be Iraq, but I knew I was going to be doing something to support the guys on the ground that were, um, that were, that were kind of, you know, hitting back against the enemy. I knew that was going to happen. So it definitely put things in perspective for me. Um, as far as like my combat deployments go, um, you know, I'm sure everyone kind of feels the same. The first one is definitely like, eye-opening experience, you know, and then, and then it becomes more routine. Um, I hate to say it, but, it, but it does. Um, and, it, it, and then I got the unique experience too, of having combat, you know, from 30,000 feet and then getting to see it on the ground. And that was also another eye-opening experience for me. Uh, made me really want to go back to the boat and kind of live, you know, on an aircraft carrier again, instead of a tent. But um, yeah, it was just a, a really, really unique experience, but I'm, one I'm super proud that I was able to do. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people can't say that. So I, you know, I'm very proud. Do you have any, any good combat related stories that you're comfortable telling? Cause I'm sure you, I mean, with all the deployments <laughs> you have, there's gotta be some yeah. awesome stuff you've seen, you know, and, and they, they vary from like the terrifying to the funny to, you know, uh, but for, for me, the one story that always sticks out in my mind is, is my very first combat mission uh, flying into Iraq. So, after training in the F-18, I joined VF-87, um, and I was the first new guy that they had had since um, since 9-11. And, and so they were deployed on 9-11 on the Enterprise, and they were actually on their way home, and uh, the boat turned around. So they were the first guys to drop bombs in Afghanistan. Um, so I was the first new guy to join the squadron. So these are all very seasoned, combat experience, you know, guys that I'm flying with, and now uh, we go on deployment on the Roosevelt and, um, this is during the shock and awe part of Iraqi freedom. So we're just starting and, uh, we were in the Mediterranean and we were flying through Turkey to get into Iraq from the, from the North. So we were supporting all special operations forces, um, you know, other governmental agencies that were on the ground doing stuff. We were the only support they had. So we were doing closer support for them. And I remember flying into Iraq on my first mission and looking down and seeing, triple a like anti-aircraft artillery shooting up at us and so my first initial thought is holy crap they're shooting at me and that's like a scary thing because they can actually hit me and then i can crash and you know die and all the bad stuff right 
uh, but it was immediately replaced with anger. Like, how dare you shoot at me? You know? Um, and I just remember that, that switch that was just flipped from being switches on, you say (laughs) the switches on, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You go from being scared to just falling back on your training and doing everything that they've taught you from day one. And, uh, and, and from that moment on, I was, I wouldn't say I was like completely at peace, but I was definitely more comfortable. I felt confident that I could do the job. Yeah. What, what do you think reflecting back on all that time? Because we've had so many guys on the show now with the way that the withdrawal happened in Afghanistan and actually it was talking about last week. I mean, the guy, the guy that we had on miles Lugosi, I think was completely disgusted with how things went down understandably on that end. But yeah, I think a lot of guys come back and they're like, was this all worth it? What was the reason that we were there? Cause at this point, Afghanistan is a mess. Right. Um, you know, my perspective um, has changed a little bit in the in the year because I, re- I retired last year. I retired when Top Gun Two came out. Actually, um, oh wow, I had my cer- ceremony the day it came out. Um, <laughs> so cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought it was a complete full circle, right? Uh, but in the years since, I've really reflected back on how our country um, injects itself into everything in the world. Sometimes for good, sometimes not for good, and we like to we like to kid ourselves and say that we're always for good. And um, I don't think that's always the case. Sometimes I think we make a situation worse uh, by doing some of the things we do. So um, for instance, you know, in Iraq, uh, I definitely believe that Saddam Hussein was a terrible human being. I definitely believe he was doing uh, horrible things to his people and he needed to be removed. Um, But the way we did it, I don't know if that was the best way. I mean, there could have been a better way. And I always ask myself, is there a reason we chose to do it that way? So when you fast forward now, you're looking at Afghanistan and you're looking at the withdrawal. Um, Why did we accelerate the timeline? Why did we, you know, why did we not? uh, Well, first of all, why did we negotiate with the Taliban? Number one, number two, why did we trust them? Um, And then, you know, why did we choose to leave the way we did? And and I seem to think that there's, there's a reason for it. And it's not always in the best interest of the people who were there to help or the people we're sending to help. So I don't think the military benefits from it. And I don't necessarily think the people there benefit from it. Um, so yeah, I can see why a lot of veterans are really, were really disgusted with what happened in Afghanistan. I can see why a lot of people were frustrated with us being in Iraq. I mean, why are we fighting two wars? You know, uh, what was the reason? And I don't, I don't know, but I do know that um, when we were there stopping the Taliban from what they were doing in Afghanistan, that was a good thing. Sure. When we removed Saddam Hussein, that was a good thing. So like, I can look back and go, I know I did some good. I know I contributed. Um, but I just don't know if we were kind of, you know, creating other issues. Yeah. I think most veterans I speak to have the same perspective for the most part, reflecting back on this. Cause I mean, I'm younger than you, but I'm old enough to remember when we went into Iraq. I'm old enough to remember 9-11. I mean, I saw the smoke from the towers because I'm in New York. So Mm -hmm. I was at like the highest point of my high school and we could see the smoke from New York City. And I do remember it's such a different attitude that America had in 0102 to how it is now, because there was this prevalent attitude of 
if you don't agree with us going into Iraq and Afghanistan, you're with the terrorists, you're anti-American. And right. I think now people see a little bit more nuance. And I think that's why, like not to get political, but I think it's why you hear way more about America first now. And even with what's going on in Israel and Ukraine, people are a little bit more reluctant when they say, we have we have a backlog of guys at the VA who need help. Can we yeah. really afford to spend billions to nation build elsewhere? Right, right. And, you know, I... I um another i'm writing another series of books um with a guy named chad robichaud it was just announced today um oh, wow. and uh, chad robichaud if you don't know he wrote this book called saving aziz um because he did some stuff in afghanistan and he had an interpreter there aziz and they became friends through several deployments so when we pulled out of afghanistan we we left him there the, the u.s government left him there and they weren't going to do anything and by and the way, so there's he, a ton, there's a ton of translators over there right now. Oh, yeah. It's insane. There's a ton of people that we made promises to as a country that said, if you help us, we will do this for you. And we we left them. Yep. And and so so Chad started a foundation called Save Our Allies and uh went over there specifically to rescue Aziz and his family, ended up saving 17,000 people from the Taliban oh, wow. during the botched withdrawal. And um so we're writing this series of books together, a completely separate issue. But part of it is we're we're touching on I, what I think of as corruption in our government. I'm thinking about politicians who have their own self-interest in mind. You know, how can they get more power, more money, and they don't really care who hurts from it. And it's frustrating as a veteran to know that that maybe I was a pawn to that. Like I was playing into their, you know, getting richer, getting more power. And, and that frustrates me, but I, but I see the evidence there. So you mentioned Ukraine and I look at how much money the U S has given to Ukraine. Now, again, Putin, horrible person should not uh, have invaded Ukraine. And I know there's some issues of people saying, well, Ukraine's corrupt or whatever. I don't care. Uh, what I care about is that there are innocent people women and children who are suffering because of this war. And we as a country are giving a lot of money. And I don't know how much money that is, how much money is going to helping those people who are suffering. What I do know is that the top defense contractors in this country have profited from it. If you look at since Russia invaded Ukraine and how Boeing and Lockheed and Raytheon and General Dynamics, how their stocks have done compared to the rest of the indexes, it's, astounding they are making money while everyone else is losing or at least they're making a lot more and um so i'm like what's behind that you know that's where i kind of start to go what's behind that who's making money who's profiting from it um you know and again like i i feel for these people who are suffering um i want to help them but i just want to believe that the people who are making decisions are helping for the right reasons and i just feel like I can't believe that anymore. Yeah, what what you're saying is reminding me, and I'm sure you, you know you definitely seem like a guy who keeps up on all of this. I'm sure you saw the news with Elon Musk and him basically uh, giving Starlink to the Ukrainians to use for communications. Yeah, and then they said to to Elon Musk, uh, "We want to use Starlink to to basically have a surprise airstrike right on Russia." Yep. And, and Elon was like, "No, I did this as a humanitarian aid thing. I want to help the people. Right. I'm not." And he wasn't on a military contract. And right. then it's like you turn on the news and they make Elon Musk look like he's this horrible human being. And he's just like, 
I just did this as humanitarian aid. I, I have, I, I, this isn't a military contract. I don't know yeah. why I'm responsible for having an airstrike. Like I don't need that on my conscience and conscience. And I understand where he's coming from. You know, not that he, right. not that a billionaire needs me to defend him, but I understand his, <laughs> yeah. his take on this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it, you know, I, as a veteran uh, who is proud of my service, you know, I, I just, I like to believe that the people that I, I took orders from, uh, we're doing things for the right reasons. Unfortunately, in our political landscape today, I just don't know that that's true. And maybe uh, maybe I'm kind of opening my eyes and seeing the way it's always been in this country. Maybe that's the way it's always been, and I just haven't seen it. But I'm definitely a little bit more jaded than I was when I joined the military. Yeah, and I think America is, and I also hate when you watch these, you know, when you watch like the Republican debates and stuff. And and look, I don't, I'm not on here, like push any politician or, or push you against it. Whoever people think is the best person for the job. It's great. But I just hate when I see these people and it's like, they feel that, that they're coming off as a powerful leader being like, we need to go into Iran. Yeah. We need to topple that government. And it's like, you're not doing anything. You're just in, in an office speaking tough. That's right. not being heroic what you're doing is is you're putting guys on the line who are oftentimes 18 19 years old to get involved yeah. in a military conflict which sometimes has no direct impact on us so i just i i think there's actually a lot of cowardice to speak tough yeah. behind a microphone yeah. and you know you're not you don't truly have any skin in the game it's our right. young military guys who do right and then you see also you see certain politicians that will hold the military hostage in terms of well if you don't um pass this i'm not going to um, you know, allow a vote to confirm the commandant of the Marine Corps or, or whatever. You know, they I feel like the military is always held hostage to whatever the politicians' whims are. Uh, we saw it during COVID, you know, when uh when the politicians couldn't mandate that every American get the vaccine, they turned to the, you know, one group that the government always has control over is the military. And they said, you will get this vaccine. And if you don't get this vaccine, you're going to be kicked out of the military. And even though the military, by and large, is probably one of the healthiest, fittest demographics of our society and the least risk for, you know, getting COVID and having some negative consequences sure. from it, but they're the one that you can control. So it's the same thing when, um, whether the, whatever hot topic you want to talk about, um, you know, whether it be transgender, whether it be abortion, it doesn't matter. The the military always finds itself kind of in the crossfire. Oh yeah, as the as the one group that the government can manipulate however they want, uh, when they should be the group that is training to defend our country, and being given the tools they need to do that. Period, and it ends up always being a political thing, and that frustrates me. Yeah, I think it does does for a lot of the people that we have on and myself. Hey, I hope you're all enjoying this episode with Jack Stewart. I really enjoyed speaking with him for the first time. We've been going back and forth about getting him on the podcast for a few months now. And I said, we'll do it when the book comes out. And luckily, the book came out today. So what better time than to get people to check this out? Um, a lot of you guys are avid readers. And I have a feeling you'll be picking up this book and absolutely loving it, whether you're a fan of uh, previous guests we've had on like Brad Thor or Jack Carr. This is completely in that wheelhouse. Before we continue, Fort Scott Munitions 
You know them. They've been with us every episode. They're a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition that is designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military-grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC-spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with every pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses. You can go to the dealer locator on their website and type in your zip code and you're going to find where to buy it. You're gonna, but you're going to get the best deal through us when you use our promo code at fsm.com. As so many of our listeners have, it is the best ammo out there. You could find stuff for no matter what you're shooting with, the most lethal and yeah, make the change if you're shooting with anything else. Go to fsm.com, use the promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off. That's for ammo, that's for gear, that's for nearly everything on the site. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, BATTLELINE Tactical, and the BATTLELINE Podcast. Use that exclusive promo code that we have, BATTLELINE, when you go to fsm.com. I was going to ask, like, before getting into how you came up with this book series and and what the inspiration was uh what made you not start with doing a memoir as so many guys do because you have <laughs> you you have a really interesting biography it, you know it's it's funny because i've had some family or friends that have said that you know that i should do that and um actually while i was you know overseas i i kept a journal and i wrote it in kind of a uh a, you know a narrative prose so like like a fictional um accounting of what my combat missions were like. And I would send it home um, and people were like, man, you need to write a book about this. And I just look at it. And I think probably a lot of veterans look at it this way. Of, like, I'm not that interesting, you know, like um, I, I don't, I don't know that I would pick up a book about me. Like if I, if I saw a book that was like, you know, Hornet pilots, you know, uh, life in the military, I'm like, nah, pass. <laughs> you know, like uh, I just, to me is not interesting. Um but then I talk to people who maybe don't have my same background and they're like, no, that's pretty fascinating. When you talk about taxing on the aircraft carrier, the thing that I thought was like so basic and so mundane um, that people find that fascinating and want to know more about it. So I probably will do one, but only to pass it down to my kids. I probably will not publish it for other people to read. Um, Which is crazy because kind of there's so much work that goes into putting a book out. Yeah. But you and know, writing for me, book. for for me now, writing is just, it's something I'm always doing. So if I ever, ever had the chance to, you know, have some, some white space in my schedule, I might sit down and do that, but um, I don't know. So, so the protagonist of Unknown Rider, which is going to be in a book series though, is Colt Bancroft, which is a Top Gun instructor. So was a lot of this inspired by people that you came across or your own life? Yeah, no, it definitely every, um, I'd say I took a lot of attributes from different people that I served with. And incorporated them into different characters in the book, whether it be Colt, whether it be um, other characters in the book. There was one character, Jug McFarland, um, who I actually named after my my grandfather, who was a B-17 pilot in World War II. Um, it was just really kind of a nod to him and his generation. But um, but definitely Colt is not me. Um, I am not Colt by any means. Um, I think 
Colt is probably the kind of guy I would like to be um, or wish I was when, when I was um, flying in the Navy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I took a lot of attributes that I saw uh, from other guys that I served with and I definitely put them in the book as a way of honoring them. So how did you actually write this book while you were in the military? Cause as you said, you, you were done when Top Gun two came out, you basically have two books that are already set to go because the next book is coming out in a few months. And yeah. I'm just wondering what, in, what made you even start writing these books? Cause I mentioned Jack Carr earlier and I know yeah. he wrote, he did a write up for your book. Was it you seeing the success of someone like that and being like, all right, I can go down the same career path. Yeah, no, I, it's so like I said, I always read things as a kid, whatever I wanted to learn about. And, and so for me, bookstores and libraries that those were my candy stores and toy stores. Um, there was something like my family would go on a summer trip every summer. Um, one of the things that we always got to pick out was a tape for our tape cassette player, you know, that we could listen to on our Walkman, um, and then a book. And so I always went to the bookstore and found the thickest, fattest book I could find because that gave me the most amount of pleasure, you know, like I wouldn't finish it in an hour and be like, okay, hey, what am I going to do now for the rest of this 12 hour car drive or whatever? Um, so I always picked out Tom Clancy novels and um, I, I mean, I, I've got them all, every single one on the shelf behind me. Um, I've read them several times to me. That was a big influence. And, and I knew that one day I was going to write. I mean, I've, I was always enamored with the publishing industry and, and kind of what it would take to publish a novel. And I was like, okay, I'll do it one day, one day, one day, one day. And then um, on my last deployment, uh, which was my JSOC deployment, I really saw some stuff that I was like, wow, this has to be a story. And not in terms of, you know, actual missions or uh, tools or techniques, anything that would be compromising to security, but the type of people that I served with and what I saw in terms of their sacrifice to me was so inspiring because I always grew up thinking my, my grandfather's generation in world war II, that was the greatest generation and that generation is gone. But what I saw in that deployment, that greatest generation is today. And really it's the politicians and, you know, that are holding back, you know, the men and women that are serving in our military today. Like I used to think there is no way that Normandy would happen but it absolutely would happen if somebody would have the guts to say, storm that beach, you know, but today politicians are afraid of doing that because it's going to look bad for them. You know, we're going to lose lives or whatever. Um, but the men and women who are actually putting on the uniform, picking up a rifle that they exist. And so I was really inspired by that. And so I wanted to write um, and I ended up writing several different books, uh, none of which you know, got, um, got the attention of, of an agent, none got picked up for publication. Um, but in the process, I realized, wow, I can actually write now. I should probably learn the craft of writing and learning how to tell a story in the right way. And so I started again, picking up books, learning about the the craft of writing, learning how to tell a story, uh, learning about the three act structure and all the stuff that I probably should have learned when I was an English major at the Naval Academy, but really didn't. Um, and and I think over the course of the next, you know, five or six books and what became Unknown Writer, I think I finally found my voice, found the story that I wanted to tell, found the series that I wanted to tell. And, and so that's, kind of, it was a long process to get to, 
actually writing it. But then when I realized I could do it, I was like, well, maybe I should try to make this a career. How do you find the time, though, to write what was several books, not just one book yeah. while you were serving? Because a lot of the times I've spoken to people who served who feel that they have a book in them and they don't even know where to begin. They don't know how to find the time. I yeah. mean, you were still in the military and you found time to keep writing. Well, the last uh, last 11 years in the military was I was a reservist. And so um, I uh, my civilian job, I'm, I'm an airline pilot. And so uh, when you're an airline pilot, you have you spend a lot of nights in hotels and you can either turn on the TV in your room and just get stupider or you can do something productive. And so for me, I would always uh, go for runs, um, think about stories in my mind, and then I'd go sit down and start writing. And so uh, now pretty much any, any overnight that I'm on, uh, you can find me in the bar with a beer in front of me and my laptop and, and just hacking away. Um, so that's when I found the time. Um, now I have to make a little bit more time cause I have deadlines to meet, but back, you know, back before I had a book deal, it was, you know, just more entertaining, entertaining me. I would much rather open up my laptop, continue a story than turn on the TV and follow what somebody else wrote, you know? Yeah. I, and I would imagine, uh... The fact that you have two books that are going to be released now, someone must really believe in this. I mean, did you did you get in touch with these guys like Jack Carr and say like, hey, I need your help. I need to be I want to be doing what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, uh, like other writers. Yeah, other writers or, in the space. I mean, because the yeah. fact is, I, I would think that how you just have this book being released today as people are hearing this, the fact that it's already, you know, in the works that in a few months we're going to get the second book of this series. I think you, I would think usually with publishers, although I've never written a book, they would say, let's see how the first book does. And then maybe you'll put out another one. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, usually I, I'd say most uh, book deals today, and this is according to my agent, is most book deals are two book deals. And okay. most traditional publishers, though, they publish on a, a schedule about one book per year. That's pretty common. Yeah. Um, like Brad Thor. Brad Thor is yeah. once a year, you're going to get a uh, Scott yeah. Harbath book. Yeah, Brad Thor, I mean, Jack Carr, um, you know, Mark Graney and his Gray Man series, it's like one a year. And it's it's also usually around the same time every year. So everyone knows, okay, this is this book's coming out. I gotta wait one more year. But when, you know, when January rolls around, I'm gonna get the next Brad Taylor. And then uh, you know, February comes around and and now I get the next Mark Graney. And you know, so uh if you're a fan, you kind of know when those are coming out. Uh my publisher takes a little bit of a, a different approach. Um and, and what they're looking to do is to kind of uh, have the next book in a series available for pre-order uh, when the when when the book comes out. So when book one comes out, they want book two available for pre-order so that when people finish Unknown Writer, the, at the end of the Kindle, they can click, you know, buy on Outlaw for book two. And then when Outlaw comes out, they want book three, uh, which I just turned in called Bogey Spades. Um when when that one's available, you know, for pre-order, they'll they'll uh, be able to click on that at the end of Outlaw, you know. So they 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 want to keep that that chain of, of momentum of yeah momentum going, and um, it's a I think it's a great business model, and I I, I think it's uh, hopefully will drive you know more readers to my series because I know one one thing I like as a as a reader myself, I like to read an already established series so that I don't just finish one and go, Oh, I got to wait another year, you know? Sure. Um, and so it's, it's great coming into like, you know, uh, Jack Carr on his last, his latest book, because you can just start from book one 
and go through six books, you know, and get all caught up. Um, or, you know, Mark Graney has got a ton too. Brad Taylor's got a ton, but when you're a new author, it's kind of like people have to really believe in you to try that first book out. And then you really got to wow them to get that second book. So the nice thing about having my second book coming out so close is that if people like book one and, uh, you know, I think they will, um, book two is right there in February. So it's only a couple months away. They don't, they don't have to wait a whole year. They don't forget about me. Um, and then book three will be coming out, I think, uh, probably like June or July of, wow. of next year. So again, every, you know, hopefully three to four months, um, you know, they'll, they'll have all these books out. And so, um, this is a four book series and it'll finish up, uh, probably a, a year from today. Okay. So then your, your ultimate goal, I guess, would be to move on to another series from there. So, so I was actually going to ask if you feel like you're going to get tired of Colt Bancroft, but it sounds like by the time you're done with this series, you'll be on to something else. You know, I don't, I mean, I don't think I will get tired of him. Um, I do have another series like I mentioned that's going to be published with Tyndale. Um, that, that first book will come out, I think, uh, springtime of 2025. Um, and that's a three book series, but that one's more of a one book a year's, you know, cadence. Um, but I, I, I've definitely got a lot more stories in me, you know, and I, I definitely, I could see Colt, you know, doing more because where I'm taking this series is going to kind of set up um, a really unique uh, aspect of what I think is an untouched area in, in the market right now, which is um, it's a, this concept of light attack. So, and I, I, the way I describe it is, um, you know, you talk about Naval Special Warfare and SEALs, you know, they've got the, the, the SDVs, they've got the boat teams, they've got, you know, all these, these, uh, specific specifically trained groups to support them under the water and on the water, but nothing in the air in Vietnam. There was this squadron called VAL four, the black ponies. They flew OB 10 Broncos in Vietnam, supporting Navy seals doing close air support for Navy seals. And so um, NSW has tested this um, in a, in a, pro a program called imminent fury flying the super Tucano. And then later on, SOCOM tested it with the OB-10. Uh, actually, on my last deployment, um, they were testing the OB-10 for close air support integrated with special operations forces. But to the best of my knowledge, neither one of those programs got funded. And so I was like, well, if Congress isn't going to fund them, I'll fund them through fiction. And so my series kind of goes that direction where they stand up, they basically resurrect VAL-4 flying super Tucanos with Colt Bancroft in the front seat and uh, a Navy SEAL in the back seat. Um, and so it, there's a whole host of missions and stories that can be told, you know, with that, that would be completely unique to anything else. And I think I bring the aviation, you know, element plus my special operations experience, you know, in kind of combine the two worlds together. And I, I think that's uh, pretty cool. So I can see more books going after book four. Yeah. And the, and the other interesting thing about unique, uh, the other unique thing about unknown rider, I would say is that many of these books that we're reading take place in Afghanistan, in Iraq, because of all the combat that we're seeing, but oftentimes also just everywhere. Like the last, uh, the last uh, Brad Thor book is dealing with Ukraine. This takes place in California. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was uh, one of the things that kind of blew me away in my, during my military career, no matter where I went, whether it was Key West or Fallon, Nevada or San Diego, California, it didn't matter there was always this feeling of uh, being watched by a foreign intelligence. And um, 
It could have been China, it could have been Russia, it could have been you name it. Uh, in my book, I picked China. And, uh, you know, I would challenge anybody who's listening to go to the New York Times website and in the search bar, type in Chinese espionage. And almost every single day, the New York Times would publish an article talking about how the Ministry of State Security is involved in academia, you know, some professor at some university doing something uh, involved in industry, you know, where they're stealing um, secrets for uh, you name it. I mean, it could be a, a weapon. It could be a technology for energy um, in government. I mean, yeah, we had that Chinese spy sleeping with uh, what was Congressman Eric Swalwell? Yeah. Is that yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's not just the United States. It's everywhere. Um, when I was in Afghanistan, I ran into Chinese troops in Afghanistan. Um, I was in Africa with uh, with JSOC and and. Um, saw what China was doing, building a base in Djibouti right across from the American base. And it was big enough for, I think, like one Chinese aircraft carrier. Um, they could land like several transport aircraft with several regiments of troops. I mean, it was some outrageous, outrageously sized base, but they are everywhere around the continent. I mean, around the world. Um, and they are challenging uh, our dominance, you know, around the world. And, um, but they're doing it at home too. And, and I think, you know, I would always think before I threw anything away in the trash in my hotel room, okay, who does the maid work for, <laughs> you know? So, um, nothing even remotely classified or related to the military was going to go in the trash. Even if I was on a military base, I, I treat it that way. Um, because they're so prevalent in their espionage gathering activities. So when I set out to write this book, um, I wanted it to be domestic. I wanted it to be something that anybody, um, regardless of their background, whether they're come from a military background or civilian, that they could um, they could find it uh, thrilling. Right? They could they could see something happening in the book and go, "Man, that could actually happen in real life." And I really think that most of the stuff I write about could. You speaking about the Chinese spying stuff reminds me of the recent event, of course, that I'd love to hear your take on the Chinese weather balloon uh, yeah. being flown over the Midwest. What what was your take on that? <laughs> um. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yeah, that's a really, really good question. I, there's there's people that obviously have way more knowledge about it than I do and, and could make a, a better decision. Um, I would not have allowed that to happen. Um, knowing what I know as a civilian, uh, which is that it was just gathering intelligence, I would not have allowed that to happen. Now, um, my second book, Outlaw, I talk a lot about uh, synthetic bioweapons. And I, to do the research for that, I talked to a professor that uh, at Columbia, who used to teach at West Point, was uh, he worked on the uh, I think it was the Countering Terrorism Center um, at West Point, and he wrote articles on synthetic bioweapons and the type of science that goes into creating these things. And one of the things that he said that really kind of terrorized me is that it's possible to create uh, 
a weapon, you know, where you can have an on and off switch. So you could spray an entire continent with something that we would never even know we were exposed to it until some environmental factor just flips a switch. And now that can cause a mutation in our body to, to do something, right? So think about the shingles. Um, you know, ch- shingles comes from chicken pox. So if you had ch- chicken pox as a kid and then you've recovered from it, now that lives in your body dormant until some environmental factor in your 50s triggers it and you get shingles, which is why we have to get the shingles vaccine. So what he's saying is like, if I wanted to make half the population sterile, you know, we could easily do that, just infect everybody. And then at some point you flip a switch by exposing them to something that's completely innocuous. And and now all of a sudden they're sterile and they can't have kids. So my fear when I hear that and then see this weather balloon <laughs> spy balloon whatever flying over the the country is what are they doing um are they spraying something are they is there an emp on board where if they detonated that at that altitude it would be totally devastating to our infrastructure um is is that why we didn't shoot it down before you know until it got off the coast i don't know but you know as as a writer i'm thinking about these things and they terrify me and I think the science supports that those are real fears. Um, but now as a fighter pilot, I would have loved that opportunity to, to you know, launch and shoot this thing down before it got anywhere near Montana. You know what I mean? I mean, and that would be a thrill for you. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it, when I heard about it, I think part of my reaction is like, what intel are they gathering that they don't have already when you hear the TikTok is... like the number one app in america and i think i think people just stupidly think well what's the big deal it's people doing dances it's a fun thing it's viral and the amount of data they're they're collecting and also the amount of uh of like anger that they incite in the american public with what they trend and what information they get out there i mean i could talk about with the israeli or israeli palestinian conflict i've just seen that no matter where people side on this there's just a ton of misinformation that young people mm-hmm. are getting. And I think that this is where they're getting it because they yeah. all seem to be repeating the same talking points that just as a American who tries to keep up with these things, I know is incorrect. You know, it, right. it's just, it is, it is factually incorrect that before Israel was established that there weren't Jewish people living there. Right. And right, it's, right. it's out there viral that it's just basically right. like, this was all Palestinians living there. And then suddenly yeah. after World War II, these people took the land. It's n- it's a lot more nuanced of an issue than that, but it's very easy to create a viral video on TikTok. And I think they love the fact that they're creating a lot of hostility between Americans. And it's, it's oh, yeah. largely due to social media that we're at each other's throats. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it's so easy to manipulate the average American these days. Most Americans don't you take the time to read past the headline and they purposely make headlines uh, to be insightful in one way to, to get people passionate about something. And so I think so many Americans are just going to see this headline and immediately share it without even reading. And then even if you read it, maybe do a little more research, dig into it. Um, We've lost that ability. I think in this country to, to, I want someone to challenge my views. I want someone to tell me, you're wrong. And here's the reason why. And then I will look it up for myself, you know, and that's what I try to teach my kids. I try to teach them. Don't just take what your teacher says face value. 
look deeper into it, you know, because there's always more to the story than what you're being given. Yeah, I, I agree. And just the, the fact that they have the power, though, to silence, for example, if someone is putting up videos that are pro-Taiwan, they'll make yeah. sure that that does not trend on the platform. Yet we'll see that there's all this stuff trending of kids doing like violent acts in high schools. And that'll mm -hmm. be like the number one thing trending on TikTok. Why is that being done? I think it is something more sinister than just this is what people are clicking on. They control those algorithms. Yeah, no, they absolutely do. Yeah, and it's it, like I said, it's easy to manipulate the American person. American citizen today is easily manipulated. Yeah, and and it's because we're everybody is easily distracted, and I think everybody's attention span is shorter and shorter than when I was a kid, and then when you were a kid. No, oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I so you know what I wanted to ask you. I uh, I spoke about this with John Rain Waters, and you actually said earlier in the interview that you always went to air shows, and and yeah. I I could say going to the Jones Beach Memorial Day Air Show every year. Like I am in complete awe of these guys. Uh, Rain has had the uh, honor of flying in those. Have you ever participated in any of them and flown uh, anything? No, I so um, so Rain. Um, I actually had the opportunity to talk to him on his podcast, um, which is a great a podcast. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it is. A, it is a great podcast, and it was kind of nice being able to talk to somebody that spoke the language, you know, and. Um, uh, it's kind of funny because Navy and Air Force, you're going to be um, naturally, you know, we're going to be at each other's throats on who the better pilot is or whatever. Um, but he already knows it's Navy. But that's okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, uh, he he was a demo pilot, and and the demo pilots are the ones that um, like the Air Force would you know would say, okay, you're going to be the East Coast, you're going to be the East Coast demo team, you're going to be the West Coast demo team, whatever. The Navy has the same thing, and for at least the Navy. Those demo pilots are instructors at the training squadrons for those platforms. So for the F-18 uh, demo pilot, it would be an instructor um, at VFA-106 on the East Coast where I learned how to fly the F-18. Um, and I think, um, I don't know if they have a, I don't know if they have an F-35 demo team for the Navy now or not, um, but that would be, you know, VFA-125 out in Lemoore. Um and so they're the ones that always do the air shows um, aside from the blue angels, which obviously is the Navy's demo yes. team for everything, right? Like everyone knows the blue angels. Um, so I, I, I was never on one of those demo teams. Um, but what I have done is I did what we call static display. So when you are able to walk around the air show and look at the planes that are sitting there on the ground and talk to the pilots, so I was one of those guys that got to fly a jet into an air show, park it the day before the air show started. And then every day during the air show would stand out there in my uniform and talk to the kids and take pictures and show them around the airplane. And I always enjoyed that. Um, I honestly, honestly, when it comes to aerobatics and I tell people this and they they think I'm, I'm lying to them, but I don't enjoy going upside down and doing loops and rolls and stuff. Uh, just for the sake of doing it. If I'm doing it while I'm dogfighting and I'm chasing another plane or I'm trying to not get shot, then that's a different story. But just doing it for fun was was never my my ball of wax, you know? Yeah, it's probably got to be cool doing what you did, though, at the air shows, because I just feel like whenever I go there, it's one of the last things in America that is like a truly patriotic event without the politics. There's nothing political about it. It is just yep. pure 
pride in being an American. You know, they'll play like Lee, Lee Greenwood uh, on the speakers and everyone is singing along. And and at least here on Long Island, it's like people of all races. And it's just a great, great event, great environment and very inspiring. Yeah, yeah no, it really is. And I, I, like I said, I loved it as a kid. I loved being able to do it um, as a uniform service member. Um, I think next year, I think I'm going to try to go to Oshkosh, which is probably one of the biggest air shows, um, in, you know, in the, in the country. Um, and, and, uh, I'll be able to do that as a civilian, you know, so, um, it, it's going to be, you know, aviation is always going to be there. Air shows are always going to be, you know, something that I'm going to go to, um, you know, the Reno air races, uh, I know this last year, I don't know if you are familiar with those, but this last year was the last year for the Reno air races. Uh, they're trying to move the air races now somewhere else. Um, but like, I remember one of my greatest memories with my dad is him picking me up from a school. I grew up in Washington state and then we drove to Nevada and went to the Reno air races. And I got to meet Pappy Bowington, you know, um, a legendary Marine fighter pilot. And then I got to meet uh, the Japanese fighter pilot that shot him down. Oh, wow. um, and it was like, as a kid with the coolest thing ever, you know, and then I, I went back as a, as a fighter pilot, um, and was there when, unfortunately there was a, a really bad crash. Um, but it's just, you know, a, aviation, civilian military doesn't matter. It's always going to be in my blood and always going to go to those things. Yeah. That's awesome. And, and then, uh, you know, transitioning to a commercial pilot, what was that like for you? Well, you know, I, I didn't want to be an airline pilot originally after leaving the military active duty because, you know, going from flying a fighter, I thought, you know, it's going to be like going from, from driving a Porsche to driving a bus. Yeah. And, um, I, I didn't want to do it. I thought it would be boring. And so I went into business. I actually had a master's degree in project management. And, uh, so I went and worked for a Marine engineering company, worked with some great people and did some awesome things. Um, but I didn't want to work for a living. I realized real quick, um, that, you know, I'd rather, rather sit in the cockpit. So in, in a couple of years of doing that, I realized I, I'm going to go fly uh, for the airlines. And so fortunately I, I got hired and um, it was funny because the, the, the common joke is, um, you know, what's what, like, what do, uh, what is a jet engine and a pilot? Like, how are they different? And the answer is that a jet engine stops whining at the gate because mm-hmm. pilots by nature are, are whiners. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I'd fly with guys and they'd complain about the hotel we were staying in, or they complain about, Oh, you know, I got to go to, you know, Tucson again. I'm like, man, live in a tent in Afghanistan and then complain to me, you know what I mean? Uh, go live on a, on a, on a crane barge, you know, off the coast of Okinawa and then complain to me, you know? So I really had a, a good appreciation for life as an airline pilot. And so the transition for me was awesome because I felt so fortunate um, the company I work for is fantastic, and I'd really love going to work. If I guess I should ask this, if that in case they're listening, maybe your answer will be different. But is the ultimate goal to just be an author full time and kind of put that behind you? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. If I could do that, I would do that in a heartbeat. Um, I, I am fortunate that my civilian job is probably the best one you could have to be an author because. You know, aside from the time actually flying the airplane, you know, I've got a lot of downtime where I can spend time writing and I've got a lot of time, you know, at home uh, where no one's calling me. I'm not having to do homework assignments or, you know, things after hours. Um, so I do have a lot of free time to write. So if I do this for a full career, um, that's that's great. But I mean, 
God willing that I'm I'm going to put myself in a position where, yeah, I can write full time and do nothing else. Which would be awesome. And that all depends on, on this book. So go out yeah. and order it, pre-order the next book after you finish that last thing, I, I, last question I have, you said that, you know, on your last uh, deployment and then leaving the military is when Top Gun 2 came out. This is a yeah. movie that all of us were anticipating for so many years. I personally felt it lived up to the hype. I'm also someone seeing it as a civilian. I don't know all the technicalities of everything, but I love that it stayed true to the original in so many ways yeah. from some simple things like the theme music to having so many of the original cast members. Oh, yeah. what, what, did you, what did you think overall? And, and you know, because this is a movie that changed the trajectory of your life on some level. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it absolutely changed the trajectory of my life. And so um, I'd always heard about rumors of a sequel and some of the early rumors I heard were horrible. Like it was all drones and stuff. And I was like, no, please don't do this. <laughs> um, so I was um, skeptical um, as this one got close to being released. And then obviously during COVID, they kept delaying the release. And I'm like, oh, like this, you know, you got to get this thing out there. Which if um, I could interject, I, I'm glad yeah. they did, because to me, this too. was an event that you go to the theaters and see. It is not this because when you're watching something streaming from your house, especially if you're by yourself, you're inevitably going to pick up your phone. You're, zo you're zoning in and out. I thought yeah. this was a movie theater experience. It absolutely was. And and I am happy that they made that decision. Um, so I, I don't regret it. At the time, I was kind of annoyed. But, you know, now I'm I'm very thrilled because, um, like I said, I it, it came out the day I retired, the day I had my retirement ceremony. Um, the next week, I traveled up to New York City to go to a conference uh, called Thriller Fest, which is a big writer's yeah, conference. Yeah. And, um, and I went to... Um, uh, an IMAX theater that was within walking distance of, you know, where the, my hotel was. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. It's like right in the heart of times square, right? It's like, well, it's just up from times square. It's like on the West side of central park and okay. It might be um, different then. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but it was, you know, so I saw it in IMAX and I, I, I had a grin on my face from start to finish. I mean uh, there, there wasn't a single thing about it that I didn't like. Now people always say, was it accurate? I'm like, no, but who cares? I mean, like you said, it, it it paid homage to the original in such a good way. I thought um, that it it was just um, it was just a really rewarding experience, and and it was a feel good movie too. You know, like so many movies today, or and books for that matter, try to make you feel bad about yourself in some way. You know, yeah, yeah. like you you're not tolerant enough, or you're not this enough, or not that enough. This one was just good old fashioned fun. You know, people people flying fighter jets, um, killing bad guys and playing football on the beach. I mean, who doesn't want that? Yeah, I agree. And and it stayed true to what people loved about the original and in some ways even topped it. Uh, I, I feel like actually you kind of covered this a little bit, but the, the week that people are going to be hearing this is going to be Thanksgiving, uh, which is important to a lot of people and especially these guys who are overseas and don't get to see their family so i mean you've covered a lot of things that you're thankful for in your life and as you said you kind of uh are able to overlook these minor grievances other pilots might have but yeah any <laughs> any thoughts on that or any even words to maybe some people who are checking out the podcast who can't be home because they're serving right now yeah i mean just for the people who are listening who are serving right now um uh i can't speak for everybody but for myself thank you for standing the watch and for continuing yeah. the tradition um i i uh it doesn't matter if it's veterans day thanksgiving or just a random tuesday in in march like 
I am so thankful of the people that step up and put on a uniform and defend this country. And I hope that my writing uh, honors those people um, who do that. And I just want to say thank you uh, for those that are listening that um, haven't served or are are no longer serving. Um, I challenge you to to find the ones that find ones who are and and thank them um, and and give them your support. You know, um, like I said, uh, the the government tries to divide us um, and and tries to to segregate us and keep us separate. Get out and yeah. talk to your neighbors. We're more alike than you know they want us to believe. And um, yeah, I mean, be, be kind to one another. <laughs> yeah, I, I I echo all of that. So pick up unknown rider. Did I just drop my mic here? I think I did. Let's see if I can get that back up. Yeah. So <laughs> this thing is a pain in the neck. I need to get a new <laughs> mic stand, I think, because I always have issues with this. There we Yeah, I think whatever. We're at the end of the episode. Yeah, we're good now. But um, there we go. <laughs> and there we go. And then dropped again. Good times. I'll I'll hopefully fix this later. But anyway, <laughs> it's good that it happened right now at the very yeah, end right of the, the end. episode, yeah. because I'm just like, this is a pain in the ass. But yeah, Harold, uh, maybe actually keep this in here because it's ridiculous. It's stupid. But uh, yeah, our video editor, pick up <laughs> Unknown Rider. It's out today. I think you guys are really going to love this book. And and even though there are so many thrillers that we spoke about, this brings something new to the table. And I think that there aren't enough guys with the experience of you. Like there's guys like Brad Thor out there who could speak to people like you and make sure I'm getting all the terminology right. You don't have to worry about that. You lived this life. So when you put out a book like this, you know, you're getting the authentic real deal. And yeah, I think people are going to dig this and people are going to want to see where it goes from here. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And, you know, thanks for the plug. Um, as long as people enjoy reading them, I'm going to write them. I can guarantee that. Yeah. So we'll have you back in, in February for book two, Outlaw. And Chris will be on for that because I know it'll be cool to have both you guys on. And he'll definitely ask some stuff that I didn't get a chance to. Yeah. Um, but jackstewartbooks.com at Jack Stewart book, uh, singular on X, and then at Jack Stewart books, plural, on Instagram. Uh, but it's been an honor. This has been a great hour speaking with you. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Likewise. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. That's all for this episode of Battleline Podcast. But we're always posting new content on social media. Follow us on Instagram at Battleline Podcast and on Twitter at Battleline Pod. That's an order. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes up every Tuesday. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. Believe in yourself. Face all challenges head on. And as always, never quit.